So we are in that nervous period between a deal being agreed in outline for the US debt ceiling and the details actually being voted on. Will it happen in time? Well, we know it will happen, even if it misses the deadline by a day or two. But what about the catch-up on the issuance of Treasury bills after that, at a time when the Fed is pursuing quantitative tightening? What does that do? And the Australian Fair Work Commission will make its decision on minimum and award wages on Friday. What does that mean for the RBA? At what level does it become a concern? It's Tuesday, the 30th of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a bit of movement in the US dollar during the session, but only up ever so slightly in the end. But the Aussie dollar has gained a third of 1%. It's up to 65.40. The pound is up 0.1%. The euro down 0.1%. The Turkish lira, incidentally, after the Erdogan victory, uh, has hit an 11-month low. The stock market closed Monday in the US and UK, but the euro stock's 50 down 0.4%. The Hang Seng yesterday down 1%. It's down 6.7% this month. Elsewhere, though, Asian stocks are doing generally well. The Nikkei hit a uh, new 33-year high on Monday. And German 10-year bond yields down 11 basis points, close to that across all of Europe, in fact, and oil up a little, half percent for WCI and 0.2% for Brent. So what of the US debt deal? Uh, and maybe there are other things to worry about now as well. Like, for example, there is a bit of escalation in Ukraine right now as well. Let's get a take on the day with NAB's Tapper Strickland in Sydney. So um, share trade on US futures are up. You, as I've just said, European equities are down. So I presume this is all the debt ceiling. There's not much else going on, uh, but it's not a done deal yet. We are in that nervous period, aren't we? Good morning, Phil. Yeah, it has been very thin liquidity in global markets. And just a reminder that the US, UK and Germany were all out on public holidays. So Mm. whatever market movements there were last night, it's very hard to read too much definitive into it. What we can probably say is... um, U.S. equities, uh, at least U.S. equity futures, have risen a little bit, and uh, bond yields have come down a little bit as well. So, um, yeah. fairly muted market reaction, really. But the, I mean, um, even even last week, as we were building up to it, I mean, the share market has not been responding to the debt crisis as much as you might think. I mean, the VIX index rose last week, but it barely got over twenty. I mean, we looked last October, you know, when there were far more volatile times. It was up around thirty-five. It's as though the markets have. Even though you're saying it's 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 thin liquidity today, it's just, you know they have been taking it in their stride, haven't they? Yes, and I think it goes back to how debt ceiling debates have gone over the past decades. Um, a, a kind of five minutes to midnight agreement has always been found. There's been enough centrist Republicans and centrist Democrats to get a deal over the line, and that looks like what's going to happen here. Some talk about um, can they get it voted and done in the House on Wednesday and to the Senate on Friday or on the weekend uh, in time for it to hit President Biden's desk before uh, the debt ceiling limit of June 5 comes around. But really, uh, all that is uh, expected to, to, to come through. Um, there may be a few delays in terms of days, but not hugely different, just given there is that kind of solid agreement and bipartisan support there. So what happens if uh, they don't do it in time? So, I mean, so, for example, the Wall Street Journal today is saying, you know, it has to get through the House Rules Committee and two of the three people there are opposed to the deal. I mean, presumably they'll be talked around. But, I mean, the deadline now is June the 5th, isn't it? So what happens if it's June the 7th or June the 8th, for example? What, how, how are markets going to respond to that? If, they, if we know it's heading in the right direction, does it really matter if it's a few days late and, uh, you know, a few bills are delayed? Oh, I don't think it matters at all. Um, I think markets might be slightly 
jittery, but in reality, you've got an agreement that has bipartisan support. So it's just more of a matter of just um, hurting the cats and getting that passed. If for whatever reason, um, the treasury minimum balances in the uh, treasury general account fall to below sufficient levels, then you'd see uh, the US treasury pausing payments. There's broad bipartisan support uh, to continue making uh, debt payments and interest payments. Um, So that's the way it'll, it'll play out if there was a few days of delay, but I think the impact on markets would be pretty marginal. Um, in, instead, I think markets are going to be turning their attention to what happens on the other side of, of this debt ceiling agreement, yeah. particularly with the refilling of the uh, tre- uh, of the Treasury General account. And you kind of and you can kind of think of this as just like an all-purpose cash account, and that usually sits around six hundred to seven hundred billion dollars. Currently sitting around um, forty to fifty billion dollars at the moment. Right. So, so lots of treasury the, bills are going to be issued. And, e- exactly, and and that's going to be happening while the Fed is there, you know, pushing on with quantitative tightening as well. So there's a lot going on in in, in the open market all at once. Uh, definitely, and according to some analysts out there, they reckon that. Treasury bill issuance um, would be equivalent to about one rate hike. Um, so mm. maybe it does tighten up financial conditions a little bit, just given the deluge of bill issuance that's expected. And that's going to be coming over the next six to eight weeks. So that's where markets will be probably focusing their attention. And thereafter, it's really going to be about central banks, given that inflation so far right around the world has proven to be relatively sticky. And we get some inflation figures from Spain later, later today, and that's the first <laughs> inflation read uh, that we do, do see. And the consensus there is for the core to remain elevated at 6.4% year on year from 6.6% year on year. So looking at market pricing back on Friday, just remember a lot of markets were closed. Uh, for the US Fed, uh, markets are almost fully pricing another hike by July. For the Bank of England, around 100 basis points are more priced by November. For the ECB, another 50 basis points or so are priced by September. And even the Bank of Canada, which only recently paused, has another rate hike fully priced by September. So um, I think that focus back towards central banks and uh, how high they actually need to take rates to bring down inflation. But you've just said in the US, you know, the consequences of this debt ceiling is we've have in effect got another rate hike. So does that change the, the picture or is that just added to the top of what's already expected? I think that's just added to the top of what's already expected. If you cast your mind back to just before March, uh, when you did get some resilience in inflation, Fed officials were talking about Fed funds rates needing to be closer to 6% or north of 6%. Then you had the failure at SVB and all those estimates about how much does that potential tightening of financial conditions uh, weigh on activity and inflation, and can you equate that in terms of rate hike uh, equivalents? And some estimates out there were ranging between 25 to 100 basis points. So um, that brought the kind of thinking of the Fed in terms of where they need to take that uh, Fed funds rate back towards that kind of 5 to 5.25% level. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have seen so far, though, is that tightening up in, uh, in the credit channels, particularly amongst the small and medium uh, enterprise banks, haven't really had a material impact yet on activity or, or inflation. So the risk remains, even though you've got that regional banking crisis still going, uh, the Fed sees the need to take rates up higher. And for longer. I mean, that's the, I mean, that is the, you know, over the last month, you know, even over the last week, I mean, we have seen, you know, this expectation of, of you know, uh, raising rates, but also that they will remain elevated for longer. Oh, indeed. The market's expectation of uh, rate cuts in the second half of this year continues to, to be pushed out and the terminal rates continue to, to go high. And there's also a really interesting contrast here with, with, the, with the RBA. Um, when you look at RBA pricing, you have to say that looks pretty mild relative to what is going on in the rest of the world. Uh, you look at market pricing, it's about 18 basis points priced by, by August, so not fully pricing a, a rate hike 
by August. And you contrast that to what's going on at other central banks in terms of market pricing. Now, you mentioned uh, Spain. We get their inflation number today. Obviously, that's not really going to give us a, a big picture. We're being drip fed, aren't we? So uh, Spain today, France and Italy and Germany tomorrow, and then you know, Europe wide the day after. Uh, so we won't get a, a, a full picture until tomorrow at the, the earliest. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, Padre Sanchez, the prime minister in Spain, just called a snap election. He didn't do very well in the local elections over the weekend. So he's calling for polls on July the 23rd. Not sure of the logic there. If you're not doing well, call an election. But uh, how does that make sense? Maybe it's because they've stayed out of recession and he's worried that they might go into one. So he wants to get in before they do. Uh, and on that, uh, the ECB's uh, Pablo uh, Hernandez de Cos is talking later on. He's a man who seems to change his tune. He uh, kicked off the year saying the ECB had to make many significant moves. Then a couple of weeks ago, he was basically saying he thinks they're close to the end of the cycle. So what will be uh, what hat will he have on today? Also, Holzman and Villaroy as well. I mean, generally, we can say the ECB is getting more hawkish as the uh, as the weeks go by, isn't it? Uh, definitely, and at least as far as the ECB and the European economies are concerned, um, you're starting to see, at least in terms of activity sense, uh, perhaps some of that monetary tightening starting to have an impact. After all, Germany uh, growth was uh, f- flat to negative over the past couple of quarters there. Uh, but also what's interesting, it hasn't really made too much of a dent in inflation, and it hasn't made too much of a dent in the labour market either. So I can see how... ECB officials are facilitating between aggressive hawkishness and mild hawkishness in that environment. And uh, to the east in Europe, uh, Ukraine, things are definitely escalating there. I mean, the markets haven't been responsive to this for a long time, have they? But Russia has been stepping up its attacks, including the use of ballistic missiles in Kyiv. So at what point do we see a reaction in the markets, if at all? I think markets aren't going to pay too much attention to what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Um, I think the two things that could cause markets to to pay more attention is if uh, there were to be more Ukrainian incursions into Russian territory, which may bring um, the chances of um, a detente or an interim peace uh, closer um that that is one situation and then if there was to be any retaliatory strikes of a sizable nature um then perhaps that uh, does as well but in terms of the impacts on uh, commodity markets uh russian oil russian uh, gas is still getting out of russia um we all know the stories around that so um all those supply chains seem to have all readjusted over the past year so i don't necessarily think this will be uh, all that market moving Mm. all right okay closer to home so uh the minimum wage the australian fair work commission is going to make a call on friday so i guess uh it depends on what they come up with but at what point at what level does it become problematic for the rba to think? that's a very good question and just a reminder here that um the minimum and award wage decision is made at the same time so uh, the minimum wage which a lot of people talk about only impacts about two hundred thousand people so it's really the award wage which impacts around 2.4 right. million people that um uh, is of the most consequence to the RBA at least. Okay, so um, at what point does the award wage become a problem for the RBA? <laughs> um, so um, Treasury uh, had incorporated, at least in the f- most recent federal budget, a 7% rise in the minimum wage and a 4% rise in awards. So we're looking at that 4% rise in awards quite closely. Uh, if that came out to be closer to, to 5 or 5.5, then I think that would prove more problematic for the RBA and probably would tip them over, uh, over the line. It would also highlight that the risk towards wages are to the high side, just given... Uh, 
at least last year, those minimum and award wage decisions were used as a benchmark by many people out there in the labour market to say, um, if the minimum award wage is going up, that's the same rate of uh, wage increase that I would like as well. That you would like? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, you, you got more than enough tapas. Uh, so housing, uh, we get that for New Zealand and uh, Australia today, the housing permits. I guess we can't expect that these are going to be moving too much given rising interest rates. No, and, and they're fairly volatile as well. Um, so um, I, I think the thematic narrative for Australia, at least, is we've had a lot of um, population growth on the back of migration over the past year. You look at the civilian labour force, those aged 15 years and above, that's increased by about 490,000 over the past year, which is equivalent to population growth around 2.3%. Uh, and yet building approvals over the past year are running about 180,000. So um, a big gap between... Uh, population growth and building approvals and that's going to continue to put pressure under rents and under prices as well. Right. No doubt overshadowed by what's happening over the debt ceiling negotiations where we get the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index today and also uh, consumer confidence uh, from the conference board. It was at a, a nine-month low last time. Uh, can it really make uh, any more gains when you know the expectation is for more hikes, I wonder? Uh, yeah, so uh, I think the expectation is for minus eight, 18. So uh, looking at that closely, mm. but obviously the uh, US ISM manufacturing, which comes out later, um, in the week will be also important there. Um, also um, worth noting that the Fed's Barkin is giving an interview uh, in the to the NAB-E Monetary Policy and Outlook webinar. So I think that'll be pretty interesting. Barkin is on the hawkish side of the spectrum. So um, now that the debt ceiling looks like it's almost done, um, I think uh, we can get back to looking at what Fed officials are saying. Right, and we will, of course, be looking at jobs later on in the week, which is, uh, I mean, I guess that might be one interesting component of the uh, the conference board report is that jobs plentiful number, because that went from 47.9 to 48.4, uh, and those finding it hard to, to to get a job fell last time. So going the, the opposite direction to, to the way that the Fed would like to see, perhaps. So if we see that extended this time, then, you know, that'll add to concerns about what we're going to see at the end of the week. Oh, definitely. And then the other one to look out for for the rest of the week is uh, the Chinese data, which comes out on Wednesday. When you look at Chinese equities, um, the um, the Shanghai mm. Composite is down 7% since the beginning of the year, and the Hang Seng is down some 11% since the beginning of the year. And you contrast that to US equities, which are up about 8, 8% on the S&P 500. So um, a lot of concerns around uh, the momentum in China at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we'll leave it on that. Uh, thanks, Tapas. Uh, thanks for- and that is the morning call for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.